The reading is from Revelation 7 on page 1238. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne, and round the elders and the four living creatures, They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory, and wisdom and thanks and honour, and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He He will lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Um, Father God, um, I pray that you'll be with Jamie as he um, speaks to us this evening, Lord. Um, we want to hear um, what you have to say to us, Lord. So uh, speak through Jamie, Lord, to us, um, and may we hear from you, Lord. Amen. 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 Can everyone hear me okay? Coming through all right? Good stuff. Well, evening, everybody. I think, first of all, Eloise, who has now got the nickname forever of Wheeze or Wheezy from the young people, I thought you read brilliantly. There are a lot, I think, a little round of applause for that. There are a lot of. I, I, did, I did that reading actually as an adult, and I literally just said 12,000 of every tribe of Israel and moved on. Little tip for next time. But there we go. Well, thanks for praying for me, Chloe. You've hit the nail on the head. Revelation is gritty. Is there anyone here from my... I know Nay's here from my home group. And is there anyone else here from my home group tonight? We, we made a huge mistake as a home group, actually. <laughs> Just when the apocalyptic pandemic hit, 
we decided to study Revelation as a home group. And it was quite a context, let me tell you. It deals with some big stuff. Um, I'm actually very pleased to have Revelation chapter 7 because it is, it's a beautiful passage. Um, anyone that was here last week will have been taken through with Eddie through what was actually a, a passage that is legitimately difficult reading, actually, for humans. And this week, I hope that we will be able to focus on the reason for that journey that we went through. That reason is the glory of God. Revelation's really, really, really complicated, really complicated at times. And I want to reassure you that tonight there are some things that we are not going to be focusing on in the passages But if you're new to Revelation, and if you're from Fuel and you're joining us, there are some things that you need to know that you can look into later about Revelation. So in Revelation, very, very quickly, and we're not going to be looking at this tonight, but there are different numbers. So you've got numbers that mean different things, right? All the numbers in Revelation, they mean different things. But because you're not an ancient Hebrew, you don't know what they mean. Now, in your own time, you might want to look into what those numbers mean. But the good news is to actually hear God's voice through Revelation, you don't need to know anything about the numbers, actually. That's the truth of it. You actually don't need to know anything about them. And that, There are also some really massive beasties in Revelation. Scary monsters, scary angels, and there are some moments where you're reading a passage and you're beginning to get a little bit afraid and you're trying to work out whether you're looking at a good guy or a bad guy, actually, in Revelation. So you can be quite scared of like these huge beings that are shooting rays from their eyes, for example. Or you might be afraid of these, these creatures that have got wings all over them and they're surrounded by blazing glory and fire, only to find out that they're on your side and you breathe a sigh of relief. So it, it, but you don't even need to know, really, about those, you see, because these are just images. Has anyone ever looked up misuse of emojis on social media. I recommend you do this, right? Because all that's going on when you don't understand Revelation, it's the same as when your nan uses WhatsApp. That's all it is, right? So, or, or, or Facebook. If you're a nan, try not to be too offended this evening. Um, yeah, and also try and move with it and get over it as well if you are. Um, but you end up with these brilliant moments where someone said, oh, really sad news today. Our dog that we've loved for 15 years has died, right? And everyone's getting back with sympathetic messages. And then someone's nan will misunderstand the crying with laughter emoji and put several of those underneath. And they think that they've communicated oh, I'm crying with you about your dead dog. But everyone else is like, we best phone Nan and let her know that she's just laughed in someone's face about the fact that their dog has just died. Misunderstanding the imagery in Revelation is just that. You're not supposed to just instantly know. And believe it or not, God knew that we were going to be reading this. So we don't need to worry about that either. In fact, if you look at a wonderful interpretation of the Bible called the message, revelation is actually summed up in two words, God wins. Now, it's not an accurate translation, that. There are, there are, there are more words, but it is, it is a fantastic 
interpretation of what's going on. And a lot of the time, actually, when we were struggling through a pandemic and apocalyptic scripture at the same time in our um, home group, we actually kept on coming back to the fact that ultimately what we have here is this awesome victory of our God. So there's a lot there. And we've covered quite a bit of ground, really. All that's really happened so far, though, in Revelation, if you want to break it down, is there were some letters... That's not an H, that's two T's, being lazy. There are some letters that have been written. There's been some worship. And that is pretty much where we're at. Other than just these seals that are on a scroll, which is one of these images that we have. Last week, those seals that sealed shut this scroll, that was an image, were opened. Six of them out of seven. And once this scroll was opened, or once the seals were opened as we went, we saw different elements of God's judgment and different elements of suffering roll out across the world. And where we find ourselves tonight is we find ourselves smack bang in the middle of what is going to be this huge moment where the final seal is going to be opened. But it pauses There's a lot of information there. Before we move on, we're going to get a little bit high tech and we're going to talk about some resources that you can use because Revelation is extremely complicated. And as well as being afraid of it, you actually, like me, might be a bit of a geek. And whenever you come across something complicated in the Bible, you think, "Hmm, when I get a spare moment, I'm going to look into that. You might be that kind of a person as well. If you scan that QR code, it will take you to several articles about different things to do with revelation it will also so I I literally googled stuff like why is revelation so hard to understand or what does the symbolism in revelation mean different questions like that what do the numbers in revelation mean that QR code is going to be up on every slide and you can scan that at any point I also want to point you toward two things the bible project is an amazing resource where in cartoon form, effectively, they teach you about the Bible. This is not just for young people. I find it immensely helpful, the Bible project. It rolls through some really complicated stuff in a way that's easy to understand. So there's a good takeaway too. And if you've still got questions, underneath gotquestions.org is a brilliant website to start with. If you go to gotquestions.org and type in a question, you will either find one of the old answers that people have tried to answer biblically and faithfully, or someone will get back to you and say, we'll look into it. And they do get back to you. It's a brilliant starting point. So if there is anything you're grappling with from having spent a few weeks in Revelation, those are some good places to go. And then finally, this book here, which is quite small up there, but it's by Nancy Guthrie. It's called Blessed. Really good book. Nancy Guthrie just seeks to focus on the promises we receive from God in Revelation. Just the promises. She does a little bit of the technical stuff, but only enough to get you to the bits that you can take away and be encouraged. And I thoroughly recommend that book because actually the context of all of this actually really is that we're not here to just know stuff about God, are we? We're here to worship God. And we'll touch on that more. So let's go 
Here's what we're going to be looking at now. I'll just, I'll just run through what we're looking at. Glory, what a wonderful word. If you Google the word glory, then you will come up with loads and loads and loads and loads of links to Christian stuff. Christians love glory. There was also a film back in the late 90s that comes up quite a lot as well that was to do with glory. Other than that, what we're looking at here is a word that really you only hear within our kingdom, our Christian kingdom. You don't much hear people say the word glory. But tonight, we've been singing the word glory. Glory comes up constantly. But do we truly grasp what it means? Tonight, we're going to look from Revelation chapter 7. We're going to look at glory in worship, glory in fellowship, glory in discipleship, and then the glory of Jesus, how we can feel that in the here and now. So let's move straight on to glory in worship. A question for you. Do you, do you like to worship? Have you ever been asked that question before? Do you like to worship? Is it something you like to do? It's definitely something that I like to do in some ways. Generally, the more personal sacrifice that's involved the closer I get to not liking it and it becoming more like work. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, that worship can be work sometimes. But do you like to worship? If we just take a look at chapter 4 here, you've got this whole section of Revelation we're looking at. If you turn to chapter 4, you will see in, in this version of the Bible that I have here, it says heavenly worship at the time. This is the context of all of this. If you're finding approaching revelation difficult and finding the absolute authority of God and the starkness of how God presents himself in revelation, worship and placing that theology in the context of the worship of God is how to work it through. And that's what we see here. Take a listen to verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside, day and night, without ceasing. Mary mentioned that in her prayer, without ceasing. Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I've said it once before, the whole point of knowing stuff about God is that we get to the point where we can worship him better. That is the point of all of this. If you find yourself walking through your Christian life as an academic exercise and you're the smartest person at every Bible study and you always have just the right answers and, and, you, and you know it, but that's where it ends... You're getting it wrong. Do you remember the life of Jesus? Do you remember what he had to say about the people that knew everything but weren't worshipping God? Do you remember what he had to say? Yeah, he, he had an awful lot to say to them, didn't he? He, he? he basically said, you are getting this wrong. And he was a bit harsher than that, to be honest. And yet here, we find absolute, total worship, don't we? We find worship here for God as he is. There's no consumerism 
in this worship, is there? These people didn't show up at heaven wondering if it was going to be a good service this week. These people didn't show up at heaven wondering who was preaching or who was leading. They weren't hoping that it was heaven unplugged. They weren't trying to work out whether there were going to be good slides and things like that. They were focused entirely on God. God as set apart. God as holy. God as totally other than you and totally other than me. God who was almighty. 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 Totally in charge. Above us all. Beyond any church strategy the leaders council could ever throw out beyond any PCC meeting beyond any struggling home group grappling with an apocalyptic letter to Laodicea beyond beyond anything beyond any youth group you've got this God who is almighty do we come do we come to church like that honestly like I, I know that I don't I didn't tonight and I was preaching on this that's the truth I rolled in the door with my family thinking, right, let's get on with this. We need verses like this, don't we? And then we're worshipping God as eternal. The first and the last. I think the closest we get actually to to God in this country is, is actually a lot of the stuff that we have seen with the royal family. You know, when you talk about people that have authority in this country and when you see people that are exalted I think the royal family is pretty much it but we saw and this is not to get in any way at King Charles I actually felt for him but did you see him when he was signing that document and the table was too small I would have been thoroughly irritated too the table it was one of the biggest moments of his life the table was too small the pens aren't working properly he needs this pot moved I think we saw there how glorious human beings really are. Like that's one of that he's probably like the top king of all the kings in the world, probably being the king of king of England. There are, there aren't many that have so much pomp and ceremony, and he still can't make a pen work just like the rest of us, right? That that's not where we're at with God, and that isn't getting at getting at King Charles at all. But he's a human being, isn't he? He's just a human. And if you listen to what they're saying in verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord, to, uh, sorry, not listen, think about what's in verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things by your will, they exist, and by your will they existed and were created. There's a takeaway from Revelation that you can take into your week. Right there. One thing you can do to totally supercharge how you worship is you could pray that every morning this week. You could meditate on that verse every morning this week and remind yourself that your place in this world before this almighty holy God is that you're only even here because of his will. You're here because he wills it. For no other reason do you exist other than God put you here. If you're feeling low about yourself and you don't quite know what the point is of you, you are here because God put you here. You have a purpose and you need to hear that.
this evening. God willed you into existence, this almighty God. There is, there is no reason to worry about your identity if you get this. There is no reason to worry about your self-value. And if anyone tells you you're not worth anything, even if it's yourself, remind yourself that an almighty God created you and put you here. That is why we worship him. And then there is the glory of fellowship. This is one of the most amazing pictures of fellowship that we find in scripture, don't we? You've got the two sections. You've got the bit that deals with Israel and the old covenant and what God is going to do with Israel and the old covenant and he's going to bring people from there. And you've got the bit where God talks about everybody else, every tribe, every tongue, everybody. The inclusivity is massive. That means for us that there is no room in our kingdom for cliques and exclusivity, is there? There can't be. If God is this glorious in his inclusivity, we cannot be cliquey, can we? That means if God is so inclusive of every tribe and tongue and nation, that means racism is completely unacceptable. This really struck me, actually, about inclusivity and racism. And, and we've spoken a lot about this as a family. And I personally have dwelt on this an awful lot. And this was actually the verse that I know when we were debating that was on Eddie's heart and mind more than any other. This image of where we're going to get to together in total equality with no racism going on, no divides all together before the Lamb. Is that reflected in our hearts and minds? Can I ask a really difficult question? Are you actually sometimes a little bit racist privately in your own home, for example? Or in your heart, is there something that still dwells that is judgmental? And if that is something that is still there, is that something as you prepare to be part of this multitude that God wants to deal with you or deal with with you? But then it's not just about the worldly issues that we see of racism and issues like that. These people have fellowship because they've all been saved. That's where their fellowship is. That's where our fellowship is. This is worship that comes like a breath of relief knowing that they've just been taken from somewhere. Take a listen to verse 10. Uh, to verses 4 and 9. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, don't worry about the numbers, sealed out of every tribe of the people of Israel. And then in verse 9, after this I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, robed in white with the palm branches in their hands. They cried out, and we move now on to verse 10, they cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation 
belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Did anyone watch the series years ago? This will be before your time, young people, actually. But it was called Band of Brothers. Did anyone watch Band of Brothers? How amazing was that? It was, one, it was about these guys that had basically been put together in the Second World War, and they basically just had to survive. They were elite soldiers that had to survive together. And the whole thing, it was, it was like, like an absolute powerhouse of television. I think it was directed by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks working together on one thing. And so it, it was absolutely epic. But what they do is at the end of each show, I say show, at the end of each ordeal that you were watching, they would actually cut to an interview with one of the real people that was represented by one of the characters. And they would always talk about the same thing. They would talk about how they'd been brought together by their shared experience, and in particular, the survivors. How they came together to reflect on their grief, on their relief, on how they're healing after everything they've gone through. Incredibly moving. You can still find it online, actually. But that's the level of fellowship that we're seeing here. This is the kind of fellowship that brings together rich people and poor people. This is the kind of fellowship that brings together people that are highly educated and people that have decided to just be more practical with how they do, do their life. This brings together people with different political views. In this room, there are people that are going to be very similar to me. And in this room, there are people that are going to be completely different to me and yet I know that if they are saved like I am saved we're close and that's the only way to put it have you ever felt that when you've met someone normally it's people come away from holiday you get here this all the time oh we went away on holiday and it was really lovely and we had a great time and you know what it was really great because the people in the chalet next door they were Christians too And we've got to just share in our faith. It's one of those Christian phrases, isn't it? That that kind of, we know what that means. It just means we've got to be children of God together. That's the level of fellowship that we're seeing here. And it's based on salvation. But most of all, we're beginning to see this deep fellowship with God. This true, deep fellowship that we can have with God. Has anyone seen the new Thor film yet? Have you seen Love and Thunder, right? Thor, Love and Thunder. It's, it's an absolutely ridiculous film. I wouldn't recommend it. I did, I did watch it. I, w- I, w- I wouldn't particularly recommend it. But it, it, it's the latest in the kind of Avengers money-making machine where they're finding as many ways to get models to fight each other and some CGI monsters, right? It's, but it, there are some funny moments in it. It begins with a guy carrying his daughter through the desert and he's clearly in a desperate situation and he loses his daughter in this moment. She, she, she dies in his arms and he's obviously broken and then he looks up and he sees this mirage in the distance and he heads this mirage and it turns out that this is the place where the God, small g, that he's been worshipping his whole life, and he's got different tattoos and he's in ceremonial dress and all this, dwells. 
and he gets there and he heads there because he's looking for solace, he's looking for fellowship with this God. He wants, he's got questions for him. My daughter's died, I'm in a difficult situation. He gets there, he gets there and his God says, I don't care. I don't care that this has happened to you. Your whole purpose was just, you were just there to worship me. It's right that you worshipped me. You've done the right thing, but I don't care about you. No, you can't stay here with me at all. He gets all of his like, angel God friends to mock this guy, and he just says, that's it. You just, you're nothing, basically. And then the storyline rolls out from there that that guy then seeks vengeance on various other people and all this stuff. But in that moment... In that moment, this person gets to his almighty. He gets to his apocalyptic moment. He gets to his version of what we're reading here. And his God couldn't give a monkeys. If you struggle with revelation, if you struggle with how powerful, frankly, God seems, and if you struggle with the judgment passages of God and the activity that you see, Remember, you're not that guy from the Thor film. And God is not that God. Have you seen what God was doing here? In chapter 7 at the beginning, God holds back the winds, doesn't he? He has these four angels holding back these, these winds from the four corners of the earth. And he's, he's saying, I need to protect these people. They, nothing can happen, nothing bad can happen now until I've got these people sealed, until they're with, with me. And then, later on, you see God saying that these people, and this is verse 14, talking about the great multitude, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they're before the throne of God. This is not just a God that is going to just reap judgment on the world at all. This is a God that right now is holding out salvation to everyone in this room. Maybe you've taken it already, maybe you haven't, but now's the time to respond to him. That's why our God is glorious. That's why this worship is so glorious, because people are coming before a God that they know wants them, a God who willed them to be alive, a God who willed them to be, to be in existence, a God who is willing to protect them and willing to save them and willing to be in relationship with them. And so in that we find glory in fellowship. And then finally, discipleship. This is where it gets, this is where it gets a bit trickier because this is a vision actually of something that's going to happen in the future. And it doesn't feel, I think even Mary reflected this in um, either where she was praying or talking, but we have to accept that our worship on earth is just a kind of dim reflection of what we're going to see one day. Bottom line, when you're at work tomorrow or school tomorrow or at home doing whatever it is that you're going to be doing at home, it's not going to feel like heaven, is it? So how do we find this glory now? 
How do we experience this glory in our lives now? Well, the answer is Jesus. That's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus works. Jesus came to bring this glory into this world so that we can begin to experience the beauty and the majesty of God and what it is to exist in his kingdom. If you look at chapter 7, and if you just consider verses 15 and 17, for this reason, there before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple, and the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In this passage, that 15 to 17 passage, we see a depiction of challenge, don't we? We see a depiction of people that are struggling. They're clearly experiencing things like hunger and thirst, um, the sun with its scorching heat. And then there's this picture of the lamb leading them through. There are some simple things that we can do in our lives that will help us to see this glory more. And they will increase the chances of us experiencing this glory and seeing the plan of God in our lives. Really simple things. One, talk to God. Pray. Talk to him. Every single day. And I'm not saying that from a pharisaical religious point of view. I'm not telling you to do it at a certain time or anything like that. But if you talk to God every single day, you will see his glory more. You will. Get some good Christian friends that are also seeking God's glory. Walk with other people that experience the same struggles as you, but view it in the same way as you. And you will find that actually you're in a much better position to see God's glory in your life. Does this sound too practical as advice? I don't don't know. Does it seem too simplistic? It's not. I was told this stuff when I was a teenager, and it's true. I was told to read my Bible and pray every day. I was told to speak to God. I was told to be in relationship with him. I was told that every time I make a decision that is big, that's going to impact my life, pray about it, involve him. I can guarantee you one thing. If you go to any person that has walked with Jesus for any serious amount of time throughout their life, they will agree with me in everything that I'm saying in all of this. Find the oldest person you can and ask them. Even if you're really old, you might need to find someone slightly younger that's still really old. But ask them 
That is, that is how it works. Revelation's not so scary, actually, given how much guidance God has given us. With the kingdom of God, and our king is Jesus. And with this, I'll close. We have to look to Jesus. We have to listen to Jesus. And we have to think with Jesus. And this is not a new concept. I'm going to ask Keanu to come up now and just read something from Romans that I think speaks into this. Page 1135, chapter 9, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will he bring in any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ, Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who have loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor the powers, neither height or nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Keanu. Um, I wanted to close with that reading, actually, because when I say that none of this stuff matters in terms of getting the gist and the basic message of Revelation... The truth is, Revelation is not that scary. Revelation is actually just a reflection of a message that has run throughout Scripture, constantly throughout Scripture. And it's also something that runs throughout our daily lives now. And funnily enough, I did not know until a couple of days ago, how I was going to conclude this. Because there's a sense in which you read a passage from Revelation, unless you're like an epic preacher that can articulate the glory of God like there's no tomorrow, then you're in real trouble preaching it. But where I landed, actually, was the thing to apply, the thing to take away here, is be encouraged. Be encouraged. Life is actually really hard at the moment. And it's been tough for a couple of years, I think. And I'm sure you'll agree. We've had some, in our lifetime, some really unprecedented stuff to deal with. And we're pushing hard as a church. And we've got a wonderful staff team and a wonderful PCC and a wonderful leadership team and wonderful young people and everything's wonderful and yet there's this sense for me if I can be honest with my church family 
We need more Revelation 7. We need it and we need it now. And the way to get it is to be encouraged. This stuff is true. And we need to be getting together and worshipping before the throne of God like this. Young people, you need to join in. Old people, you need to join. I don't know why there's always an age divide left and right in the church. It always seems we should mix that up, maybe. But yeah, the, we, need to, we need to do this. And so that would be my application. Be encouraged to worship. Be encouraged in your personal life, in your work life, in your church life. Get to church as much as possible. Pursue him. You've got your own commitments that you've made to God. In your own personal life. I know you will do. You've got your own struggles. You've got these things that will be that the Holy Spirit will have been saying into your life. You'll be there. And so there's a sense in which I'm saying, apply it yourself. Listen to God's voice in this. See this example of worship. Come before him and ask him, what's next? How do I get closer to you? How do I worship you? like they worship you in Revelation chapter 7. Can I just pray for us in that? And then we'll move on. Well, Lord God, you know how, how these things work, Father. You know that someone says some stuff at the front of a building and, and then people can take it away and think about it and mull it over. But Lord God, we want to throw all of this on you. And we want to ask that you would work in this church family, work in each individual's heart, Father. We want to see more of you. Lord God, thank you that we are saved. Thank you that we have this fellowship in this salvation. Thank you that we can be with you together, relieved, knowing that we are safe. Thank you that we can worship you. Thank you that you do not leave us. And as Keanu read, thank you that in our discipleship, as hard as it can be, at times, Father, you don't leave us and we can be more than conquerors. Lord God, I pray your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.